Uh, welcome back to Building a Fighter. My name is Dr. Austin Shane, sports chiropractor in Scottsdale, Arizona. With me, as always, badass strength coach in Denver, Colorado, Alex Friedman. Sorry, I was going to say freezing and Friedman at the same time because it's cold as fuck where you live. <laughs> it is. That it is. I may or may not have left my house today because of how Gross. cold it is. Um, so today, everybody, we're going to do one where we're going to get back to our top five lists. And what we're going to do is the top five things that strength and conditioning can benefit for athletes that we think that coaches and athletes should know about. Number one, what we're going to start with is grappling strength. So strength conditioning itself is one of the best things we can do to put on strength and give you those, we call them like farm muscles where you can grab shit and people know that when you grab somebody's wrist, that is your wrist now, not their wrist. So Alex, how do we build that grappling strength? Yeah. So one of the biggest benefits you will get from strength and conditioning is obviously we hope strength, right? Mm -hmm. But we need to evolve that into or from, if you've never been in the weight room before, we're going to give you some general strength. So you'd be doing some squats, deadlifts relatively simple lifts but the real benefit that we're ultimately going to find is a sports specific strength right mm -hmm. that's what everybody's looking for that's where people want to jump to that the, for the first day and there's times of place to intersperse it but ultimately our goal we want you to have the nasty grip strength of a black belt in jujitsu we want you to have the positional strength of a wrestler we want you to be able to hold a clinch hold head position and hold favorable position in your cage wrestling so we want you to not only be able to lift a lot of weight, but then translate that into the cage because that's uh, your sport. A hundred percent. And so many times when people think about strength and conditioning and really the strength side of strength and conditioning, they only think about, oh, I need you to deadlift heavy or, oh, I need you to squat heavy. And that is important. I don't want to say that's not important because general strength is one of those things that elevates everything. But once we get closer to our fight or once we get to become more of a uh, more experienced weightlifter and once we get past those beginning phases, then we can start doing shit that kind of looks a little bit more like your sport and increases what's called, what we call positional strength or functional capacity strength. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things to remember with strength, and this goes into our next attribute you'll gain from strength and conditioning as well, there, there's definitely building blocks and progressions we have to follow that are just point blank irrefutable yep. so if we think of a, a sport specific movement i think of maybe like a, a zercher carry right if you're in the weight room you're holding a barbell in the crooks of your elbows right on front of you and you're carrying it for distance i would call that like a sport specific movement right mm -hmm. that's some positional strength that you will use in grappling you're not going to be able to do that heavy or let's say you can't do 315 <laughs> pounds on that yeah. if you cannot squat 315 pounds Right. Because right. it's just not going to happen. So we have to establish the building block, which for some people takes a long time. And we just got to have a good relationship to establish that communication of that. But we have to establish the general strength before we get to, you know, the real money, which is the sports specific strength. Same thing if we're developing power. Right. A lot of times you cannot reach your full power potential if you haven't built up your strength. It's just logic. If we need to produce X amount of force quickly for power we have to be able to produce x amount of force yep. that's the that's just strength and speed power is yep. literally just strength and speed how fast yep. can you move in a strong way right that mm -hmm. that is power and to, to equate something that we, you were talking about like you can't rush the process that's like asking somebody to do a full power clean without sh showing them how to front squat first 
Right. They don't know how to front squat. I'm never going to have them do a full power clean. That just doesn't make sense. Exactly. I can't rush somebody into power movements if I don't know that they're already strong first. Right. Right. Because then I'm probably if, if they're not strong and I'm having them do power movements, then I'm leaving shit on the table. And I really hate leaving untapped gains on the table. I yeah. am at my base a bro. And bros don't leave untapped gains on the table. <laughs> bros shall not let other bros <laughs> miss out on gains on exactly. the table. <laughs> it's, it's the bro Bible or bridle. So that was our, our second attribute that you're going to gain from strength conditioning is better knockout power. Like yep. Power is a very quantifiable uh, term. It's something that we can measure and we can translate into the cage. The stronger you get, the more functionally efficient you are, the more power you're going to have, and the more you can use that power before you get fatigued. And one one main part about training power, though, is that we can separate both attributes, right? KO yeah. power comes from strength and speed, like we already discussed. Well, guess what strength and conditioning is really fucking good for? Developing both strength and speed, and then also <laughs> combining it. Like, I feel like we're going to sound like a broken record as we're going through this um, entire podcast, but... Strength and conditioning is at its core, it's a way to break down the variables of your very complex sport and try to isolate the things that you're bad at or good at, and then try to elevate whatever level we're focusing on to benefit you and then bring it back into your sport, right? It's almost like we got to like, we're taking all the different toppings off of the pizza because we didn't like how it was configured. And then we're trying to put the toppings on in a more attractive and a more what I would consider, I'm, I'm a very picky eater, a, a better way, if you will. Yeah. That's all strength conditioning is. And a lot of times I think the obstacle to that and the, the hard part of that is that takes, it's a long process. Mm-hmm. You're not, you're not going to practice the technical still and then be able to hit it live by the end of practice, right? You're not going right. to see that quick progression. So that takes a long time and it's a, it's a, a longevity investment and it's hard to stick with that if the, the gains are that delayed. But what I will say is what I recommend to people or what I say to people is how long did it take you to get good at just one, just one of the different mixed martial arts, right? How long does it take you to get a fucking black belt, which at this point in time, that's considered good. That's not even considered great because there's so many black belts. Mm -hmm. Like that takes on average 10 years. How the fuck do you think that you can get in shape in eight weeks? How the fuck do you think that you can master any energy system? in less than six months, right? You, you can't. Yeah. It's one of those things that so many people realize that on the skill side, that we need that knowledge and that understanding to translate into the strength and conditioning side, because this is not a quick fix. And anybody that's selling you one is fucking lying to you. Yeah. It's just full of shit and wanting Instagram videos. Um, but no, I think what you said, it's a, it's a really interesting phenomenon to watch. Like uh, one of our next uh, benefits is lactic capacity or the ability to flow wrestle and continue your high effort, high durational output, right? So I like to think about wrestlers. When you put a wrestler in the weight room, maybe they're not very good at lifting weights. They're definitely not good at sprinting. But if you put them on an air bike or a Versa climber or something that tests your lactic capacity, they're going to be just by nature really good at that, Yep. right? And so that that's interesting to see the the sport almost like re-engineer the strength and conditioning or look at from the sports side of things to see you're good at what you constantly do. For a wrestler, that's bathing in lactate. You're going to be good at your lactic endurance because that's pretty much the level of intensity you have your practices at. For somebody that doesn't have that, 
We have to add that in for you to get it. You're not just going to get it by wrestling twice a week. We have to make, <laughs> yeah, we have to make that a priority. And then we can give you some of that grapplers pace, some of that strength and conditioning at the same time. So what I will say though, is grappling is the best way to get it right. I don't think either one of us are arguing that no. what we do on an air bike is going to replace a wrestling practice because that's right. just point blank, not going to happen. But what I will say is, just because grappling is the best doesn't mean that there's other ways to try to do it. Right. I'm not going to have somebody wrestle five days a week and destroy their body when they're in the middle of camp. Yeah. That's the, yeah. Sorry to cut you off, but that's the Mm -hmm. argument I get all the time. It's like, if, you know, if wrestling is the best way to get in wrestling shape, which is a common phrase, and we agree that it is, why would I ever do anything else? Right. That's the next question is like one, so that we don't get overuse and repetitive injuries like that. That happens fairly frequently, especially in the lumbar spine and the neck with wrestlers. Um, two, we give a lot more quantifiable data to our strength coaches or our coach, right? Like I can tell you how far I rode on the air bike. I can't necessarily quantify how long I was drilling or how long I was scrambling and wrestling or let wrestling live. Like you can do it in time, but we all know that each match and each training session is is built differently in effort. So those I think are, are part of the two biggest uh, benefits from doing conditioning work instead of just doing your sport for conditioning is you get quantifiable numbers. You can see and track better how much you're doing, and that's going to lead to less overuse and less repetitive injuries. Well, and I feel as though so many people like think about runners, for example, one of the biggest thing working with runners that I have in the past is trying to get them to lift instead of just running because they're like, Oh, I want to be a better runner. I'm just going to run. Well, guess what? Just because running is the best way to get better at running doesn't mean that there's other variables that aren't going to make you a better runner. The stronger you are, the more you can push off, the more you can push off, probably the further you can travel, the further you can travel. Well, guess what? The faster you're going to be, the more stable your knee joints are, the more stable your ankle joints are, the less you're going to get hurt. All of these similar concepts apply when we think about it in the opposite with conditioning for mixed martial arts. Just because wrestling is the best way to do it or jujitsu is the best way to do it or or bag work is the best way to do conditioning because that is sport specific doesn't mean that we can then, broken record, isolate different variables that you're bad at, have objective measures like max calories or speed or time traveled, and then focus on trying to elevate those different metrics showing that you are getting better at what you're doing, not just coasting by. Yeah. And to your point earlier, that's where strength and conditioning coaches or or even sports scientists get really surgical with that data, right? Mm -hmm. We're going to optimize via your minimum effective dose, how much you work, because it's not beneficial for me to just throw and hammer you with more and more and more and more stuff. I, as a strength and conditioning coach, I'm partly a stress manager. I want to see where you're at in your training cycle. I want to see, should we be in a hole? Can we push them to the hole? Or are we just trying to, you know, insert two or three more goes of this lactic capacity because he already uh, wrestles four days a week or whatever? Are we trying to really surgically and, and calculatedly grow this? Or are we in a different phase of the plan where I think strength and conditioning coaches can also serve as that stress manager role for a lot of mm-hmm. MMA camps where quite honestly, there isn't one there's you're in camp. Go harder is always the decision, which is the, op- the opposite of what should be happening. When you're in <laughs> yeah. camp, you should be going easier and focusing on what peak. you're going to get better at so that you can yeah. peak for your actual fight, right? There's still hard parts of camp, 
but you should be doing less work in camp, not more as far as a metabolic standpoint goes. And that's a really hard thing for a coach to accept. I think that's um, one of the primary things I learned through my high school coaches. Like when it's competition day, like the work's done, you know, like (laughs) you need to be in the corner and you should be advising. And there's a lot of role for that, but like, I can't be telling you to see a, a fit in, right? Me seeing it doesn't help you because it's already gone time-wise. And if you can't recognize it, we haven't done our job in the previous weeks of camp, right? So I feel like that is, there's definitely a level of that when we go to in-camp, right? When I get in camp, it's not time to start building an aerobic base. That work should have been done three months ago, mm-hmm. right? So we really should be able to layer that and look ahead. And part of looking ahead is staying in shape through a good strength and conditioning program during your off period, your off yep. camp. Um, before we move on to our next point, I do want to talk about movement flows for chain wrestling. So the other thing that I believe that strength and conditioning does well to help you with your fluidity in the cage or on the mat is we can combine different, what we would consider complex movements into one flow and force you to move through the different movements without taking breaks, which is going to force you to, in, in my words, understand the joints better understand your mobility to a different yeah. degree. It's that everybody always shit on Connor for working with Edo Portal, right? And touch butt in the park. Playing touch touch butt in the park. But you want to know what Connor is? Extremely fluid. He knows how to relax in situations. He knows how to contract in situations. He knows when to brace, how to brace, and what to do. Now not all of that came from Edo, right? Some of that comes from his skill, actual skill work and it being right. a high level fighter. But these are just skills that we can get better at. Fluidity at its core is just a skill. If you can get better at something, that's what I would consider something as skill. So if I want you to get better at fluidity, I'm going to pair different movements together. It doesn't have to be high intensity, but the cool thing about movement flows is I can progressively overload the different movements. Say we're doing a bodyweight circuit that I don't want you to stop as you move through. We're doing a bunch of different movements. Well, then next week we add in a 15-pound kettlebell. Next week we add in a 20-pound kettlebell. And we progressively overload all of these different movements that are going to force you to be more fluid because you have to find movement strategies around them. Yeah, I think the chaining those movements together and being fluid between them is definitely a huge benefit from that. But I also feel like the repetitive nature of the movement flow, like the more you do it, the more intrinsically you can shift your focus and attention. And then you really feel yourself move either efficiently and effectively or inefficiently and with a heavy drain to your body. So I think adding the weight will just expose that even to the next degree. So I a hundred percent agree with what you said. I think there's even more benefits from movement flows that we can get outside of camp. Um, and then even into camp again, once we get in camp, those movement flows are just for efficiency and feeling good. They're not for learning movement, quote unquote. Right. And, and they're perfect for say like after a sparring day and you need to do, you feel like you got to do something, but your coach tells, or if your coach is smart, tells you that you shouldn't go on a run or your coach tells you after sparring day, you went 10 out of 10 and you feel like you got to get something extra in. Well, your strength and conditioning coach, your healthcare practitioner, your skill coach, they should be able to, one of the three should be able to provide you with some sort of like 15 to 20 minute movement flow that isn't hard, but it's restorative in nature. You're probably going to stay in the blue zone of your heart rate. So it's not really anything that's going to be metabolically demanding. You get to move your joints in a beneficial way and you're actually going to recover faster because yeah. you're 
activating all those different muscles and getting nutrients to where they need to actually cause a recovery effect. Yeah, you're increasing your blood flow. And then part of that awareness of the movement flow and be able to hit the right um, heart rate level, the right zone is from learning your pacing and your conditioning during your out of camp cycle, mm-hmm. right? So that's our, our fourth main point that you can benefit from strength and conditioning is learning your pacing, learning your energy system, learning what red feels like, what the red zone feels mm-hmm. like in your sparring, feels like in your grappling, feels like in your strength and conditioning session. Because when we get to the fight, like it or not, there's an aspect of pacing there, right? Some athletes don't use any of the pacing and I would argue they're worse off for it. But being aware of that, being able to control your breath and your nervous system in between rounds, the overall knowledge of where your body's working and how hard you're expending energy at a certain given point and the ability to shift up and down, I think is irrefutable benefit from strength and conditioning. 1000%. You need to be able, you need to be able to use your heart zones as gear shifts, right? You should be able to go between them in a relatively quick setting, as long as you don't surpass that lactic threshold right into the red zone and just stay there. Right. Um, but something that I've, I did, um, so Hunter Azure is one of my guys, he was in the UFC. He's been out of the UFC for the last two fights, trying to fight his way back. He had some stuff going on where we needed, as far as his weaknesses that are actually now his strengths, which are kind of cool is we did an entire 16 week program on aerobic power because he didn't know how to pace like a really good example for people listening is if you go back and watch him against Brian Kelleher, it was the fight was literally a round and a half and it was fight of the night because Hunter beat the shit out of him so bad in the first round and then got knocked out by Brian in the second by just a dumb mistake. It wasn't anything crazy, but he beat the shit out of him so bad in the first round that they got fight. They both got a 50 K bonus for fight of the night. But he didn't know how to pace. That was his thing when he was in the UFC is that he didn't understand how to, what is an 80%? What is, what is a 70%? What pace can I maintain for 15 minutes? And so we literally just went on this ramping cycle of just three to four weeks on one week off three to four weeks on one week or not even off just lighter. And we just did aerobic power. So maintaining that like right beneath that lactic threshold for a very long period of time. And he just got better and better and better. And what was cool is about the sixth week, we could see it in his sparring where he wasn't going balls to the wall in the first round. He actually right. understood that he can't just go crazy. And he just kept getting better and better and better until the time that he understood what his 75 to 80% is that he could maintain at the cage at all points in time. And then he can selectively explode all the way through there. Yeah. You want to try to throw a finishing sequence, go for it. You got somebody in ground and pound and you want to unload on them a little bit, go for it. But you have to know how to pace to get there. And then you have to know after you do throw that, trying you're trying that finishing sequence, how much do you have to rest in order to feel ready to jump back in, which is still an element of pacing, right? You need to be yeah. able to explode and then be able to know when you're recovered to jump back in. Yeah, I think that 100%. I think a lot of times we equate this with like a veteran's prowess. Like the veteran knows where and when to expend the most energy and they know their their energy systems, for a lack of better terms, the best. So mm-hmm. we equate that to being a veteran in the sport and seeing the sport, being around it, training for so long in, in the sport. You don't have to be a veteran to get the skill, though. Like we just haven't ever focused on it. So if you focus on it through strength and conditioning, and you're more aware of your energy expenditure. You can almost have a way better tactics going into the match, going into mm-hmm. the pace. Like you can 
instead of planning on the back end for your conditioning, you can use your conditioning as a weapon to plan for in your technical and tactical approach, which I think is how you manufacture wins in this sport. Well, hundred percent. One of the, what I tell our guys all the time is you need to lead the dance, right? <clears throat> how yeah. on earth can you lead the dance if you don't know what pace you can stay at? You don't know what the dance is. Yeah, exactly. If, if you don't know the rhythm of the dance, how can you lead? You can't. Yeah. So you need to be able to know the rhythm of the dance that, which is your pace in order to push the pace in order to keep it at the rhythm that you want to stay at. If you don't know when you're going to get tired, then you're fucked. Then there's no way you're going to get around that unless you're a knockout puncher. But if you know when you feel tired, when you're fatigued, when you know you can't recover or know when you know you can recover, then you always know where you're at in a fight. And it's almost like you have a third sense in there where you have that extra leg up on your opponent that doesn't know what the rhythm is. Okay. So an athlete that doesn't have this ability and capacity for endurance and pacing and um, utilizing their conditioning, where do they start, Austin? What's our fifth point for um, gains from strength conditioning? Uh I was trying to think of a smart ass answer. I can't think of one. Uh, you're going to start at your aerobic base. You're going to start at endurance. Um, we need to give you a bigger gas tank before we can make you more fuel efficient for the most part. So yeah. I want to give you as big of a gas tank as possible and then fill it all the way up. Some unleaded and then force you to go from an F-150 to a Prius. Yeah. Well, uh, we won't say Prius because there's, right. there's minimal power there. Uh, what's a quick hybrid then? No oh, God, you're oh, testing You know I'm not the car guy. <laughs> a Mustang hybrid. Yeah, right. give me a Mustang. I'm all yeah. about it. But we're trying to, if we're doing it right, we're going to build that gas tank. So that's going to be our, I guess, 30 at the low end, really like 45 minutes to 90 minutes of slow, yeah. low intensity running, biking, swimming, whatever the fuck you want to do. I don't, shadow boxing, like anything, as long as you're staying in that blue zone or in that fat oxidation zone, right? Um, Which is going to be 125 to 145 for a generic range, but that's where I would prefer you to have a heart rate so you know where you're at. And this is such a low intensity. Yeah, this is such a low intensity modality of conditioning. Like this is something that if you're focusing on building this, you got to be doing every day, right? You should be able to do it every day, you know, practice your MMA practice as a overarching theme, if it's just a normal practice, you're not sparring, you're not going weigh him, is an aerobic stimulus. Mm-hmm. You know, the pace that you maintain while you're drilling is an aerobic stimulus. Now, if we're focusing on it, maybe you need to do things outside of your practice and additionally too. But if you're in good shape and you built your aerobic base and you maintain a high uh, pace at practice, which means you're actually focused, which I know is sometimes a challenge for a lot of MMA fighters, you increase your pace at practice, it counts as your aerobic stimulus, that's how you maintain your, your, your out of camp or your base level of conditioning by practicing hard, which is something I feel like coaches have to pull teeth for a lot of the times. Yes. Um, but one thing that I feel like everybody should know is there's different aerobic stimuli, right? There's aerobic power, there's aerobic capacity. There's, there's all of these different ways to stress the aerobic system. You need to pick the one that's going to help you the most. Yeah. You you doing two minutes of wrestling at a, a very high pace isn't going to accomplish anywhere near to the same goal of doing 60 minutes of low intensity running. Those are literally two, two different things. Yeah. It's still going to affect the aerobic system, but they're two different things. 
So if we, that's where having a good test, understanding what your deficiencies are, focusing on that, that's where that's extremely important. And actually that's where I tell people that conditioning off of the mat is extremely beneficial. Yeah. Especially in, in the, almost like I said earlier, the isolation of the like surgical approach, right? What do you Mm -hmm. specifically need? Where can we add to it versus just throwing a bunch of blanketed shit at you and actually either making you worse or not getting the benefit (laughs) we're searching for. Right. So, yeah. And I, and I, I would extrapolate your comment on the aerobic system. There's capacity, power, and efficiency in that as Joel Jameson's book is there's those um, qualities of every energy system. right? Right. But with the aerobic base, the capacity end is the most general end, right? Like we know that fighting MMA a fight is not akin to running a marathon. But the running a marathon um, stimulus is going to help you overall build your way into MMA conditioning. That's the more base level activity. Right. It's just cross training. Yeah. At, at the end of the day, all strength conditioning is just cross training. But just like how playing football is going to, or playing wrestling is going to make you a better football player. The exact same way is strength conditioning is going to make you a better fighter. It's just a different stimulus. that's going to make you more effective. No, hundred um, percent. And, and that's and, the, the, I guess if we had to go to the most overarching um, point of this podcast, enhancing your cross training is going to give you certain targeted benefits. It's yeah. all strength conditioning is just cross training with a very, a uh, scientific or calculated agenda to it. Or at least it should be with a scientific. <laughs> I hope. I, I hope that's what's happening. Uh, that's what building a fighter does. I was about to say. So if you got to get any of our strength conditioning programs, that's going to be at buildingafighter.com. And they building... have all that thought built into them already. So Exactly. They're already there. Or you can just get a custom <laughs> one and then we can dial it in for you, not just for general wrestling or general fighters. So that's going to be at buildingafighter.com. We have pre-made and custom and team programs available. Um, If you guys got to get in touch with us, all of our information is in the show notes. That's going to be emails and Instagrams. Um, I'm going to flip what I used to say in the past. I used to say that email was the better place to get a hold of me. Instagram is 1000% the better place. Now they got my Google Google watch. That thing pings immediately on this. Oh my gosh. And I I, uh, blocked my emails. Interesting. Interesting. On my watch just because I get too many. But yeah, and be sure to visit our Instagram and our YouTube channels off of those too. Those are starting to build up and, and gain some traction. So it's good information. Yeah. But this is Dr. Austin Shane. Alex Friedman. And we are 